Oh, g'day there, and welcome to the rewrap for Tuesday. All the best bits from the Mike Hosking Breakfast on Newstalk ZB in a sillier package. I am Glenn ZB. And uh, this morning, uh, local body voting, it's a flawed system. Flea has been a flawed character over time. It seems all right now. Uh, it's stress week, or stress awareness week. Some people are stressing out about it. And maybe you can cure some of that with a four-day week. But before any of that, uh, the state of South Africa, uh, World Cup or not. But the great fear, surely, in thinking a victory as famous as it may be, is going to transform a nation whose troubles transcend sport. South Africa is a lost country in a broken continent. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Too much of it, in fact. Africa, in a documentary I saw a year or so back, is potentially the engine room of the world. If Africa as a continent stopped the wars, stopped the corruption, the scandal, the demagoguery, they would leave China in their dust. I'll never forget meeting Tabu and Becky uh, in office, hot on the heels, of course, of Mandela. Mandela was hope personified, and Becky wasn't a patch on him, a man more interested in how he looked. He told me of his tailor-made shirts from a place in Texas, and yes, he was beautifully dressed, but I wondered in an interview with him, just when the lights were getting turned on on a permanent basis, given all the promises the ANC had made post the Mandela era. That question, by the way, got me in bother, given I was asked. Uh, I was asking it when I was employed by the state radio business, and they decided it was impertinent towards a visiting dignitary. Shows you why I never stayed. So when Becky wasn't up to much, and to this day, with the recently replaced Jacob Zuma, another crony mired in scandal, the ANC have been abject failures in turning South Africa into anything that resembles a place on the rise. Parts of the Republic are outrageously violent. This very country, of course, has large numbers of expat South Africans. Ask yourself why. Sport can bond, it can uplift, it can offer respite and relief, it can inspire. But it's not a miracle worker. It doesn't overcome corruption and bribery and scandal and graft. Rugby might show a more advanced and evolving racial face, I suppose, but as for the rest of it, the country needs a lot more than a tournament win to turn their generational mess around. Yep, so uh, hard to know how much healing a few games of rugby can really do. Uh, it sounds like South Africa's a mess and will be for the foreseeable future. Uh, no more or less a mess than the way we run our local body elections, though, is it? In the hat case... A judicial review found in the recount the number changed, and we didn't have a draw at all, but a winner. In the Wellington case, the numbers have changed alarmingly and rapidly. In the Hat case, the deeply disturbing thing was that there weren't that many votes involved to start with. So the simple question is this. If you can't count a few hundred votes accurately, what's the point? And how do you deal with that? I mean, is that fraudulent? or just mere incompetence. In the Wellington case, obviously a big city and a mayoral race to boot, but even so, is getting the number wrong acceptable? And if you decide it isn't, which I assume we have, why then are we pulling names out of hats or tossing coins? Why aren't we automatically recounting? The answer, of course, is cost, especially in a major mayoral race. And what if Foster gets tipped up and Leicester gets restored, or what if Leicester still loses, but loses by a different number to the number he lost within the first place? How many times do you count to be sure you actually have done what you're supposed to do in the first time, first time round. You'd think electronics, of course, are the answer, and yet using tech, it seems to vote these days, is further away than it's ever been, now that we freak out about Facebook and the Russians. So when you vote, do you assume it counts? Do you know it counts? And if the answer in some cases is no, you wonder why the turnout is the way Is it, it is? finished? Did we have it? Yeah, I didn't pay as much attention to that as I probably should have. Um... Uh, I did pay quite a lot of attention to uh, this interview with Flea, the bass player from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'm a fan. Given all the drugs, 
do, do you have memory issues? I mean, in writing an autobiography, the detail in which you write, all the things that have happened, is that an issue or not? Um, well, I can't really speak from my memory because it's the only one that I have. So I don't know that I can see the forest for the trees in that respect. However, I know that I did find great meaning in particularly in my early childhood memories, which might not have been as crystal clear, but in their murkiness and in the feeling of them, I found um, that that was kind of just as profound as something that I remembered crystal clear because the feelings uh, oftentimes are as important as the actual stories themselves. Great answer. Has it been cathartic going back? Uh, yeah, very much so. You know, I knew from, from the beginning it would be cathartic um, just in terms of the physical act of writing and like engaging that creative part of myself, but also, you know, as a journey of self-discovery and looking at my childhood and wanting to, to, you know, with some degree of objectivity, understand what happened and why it happened and how did it happen and what was underneath what happened. And the challenge of writing it, um, you know, was something I embraced, but was also terrified of. You, you've had quite the life, and that's before we even get to the rock and roll, The from, from Australia to New York to Los Angeles. The drugs started, I think, according to you, at the age of 12. How would you describe your childhood? Um... I have a beautiful childhood. Um, it was, you know, it had a lot of changes, you know, as I, you know, articulate in the book at a pretty young age, you know, my father worked for the Australian government and we moved to New York in 1967 when I was four years old for him to, you know, he had a four year assignment working at the Australian consulate in New York. And during that time, my parents split up. And my mom took up with a junkie jazz musician who lived in his parents' basement. So, you know, life really changed at that point. And there were things that were challenging and difficult. The new stepfather was, you know, richly creative and bohemian and dynamic and had a really, like, wild lifestyle. But he was also unpredictable and violent and scary and, um, you know, very untogether. So uh, all of those things, you know, it's... uh, a very fertile childhood with a lot of possibility and a lot of real interesting characters. Mm-hmm. And I did my best to navigate it then, and I did my best to navigate writing about it. Did you feel out of control or scared of it all, your childhood, when you were in the middle of it, or it just was what it was? I think it just was what it was. And, you know, when you're a kid, like I know there were times um, with my stepfather where it was truly terrifying um, because he did lose control and what he was going to do was so unpredictable that that was really scary for a kid. And I remember as a kid sort of like having this, this uh, like showing up to school the next day, feeling like kind of like hungover or in a daze or kind of in a sense of shock. Shocked, dazed and hungover. That describes exactly the way I used to feel at school all the time. If, if, the whole time. To be honest, not just school. Um, we're going to uh, f- finish up uh, shortly. Before we do, don't stress out. Just don't stress out. Trending now on the Mike Hosking Breakfast. Another awareness week becoming a bit ironic online as it turns out this week is stress awareness week and the advice on how to deal with, you know, the drama of everyday life, um, exercise, they say, a bit of reading, taking time for you, taking time for yourself. Uh, but on social media, of course, the fact that this is stress awareness week is causing, well, Stress. Uh, so what they're saying, approaching my to-do list in a calm and collected manner at the same time screaming into a pillow.
Hashtag Stress Awareness Week. Uh, it's Stress Awareness Week, and I'm stressing about writing an article for it. Anyone have their own self-care tips that you use to tackle stress and don't mind me putting in my article? That's modern journalism for you. Uh, just do what I did and invest in a bouncy castle, says another one. I am fully aware, says yet another, of my stress. Thank you, world. Stress Awareness Week. This week was made for me. I am stressed. You are now aware. I didn't realise it was Stress Awareness Week because I'm busy being stressed all year. Really? Do you think that's true? Yeah, we're really all stressed. My philosophy in life is very, very simple. And that is that life is too short and just enjoy every moment. Enjoy the ride. Of course, one thing that might uh, help you with your stress is uh, an extra day off here or there, or maybe every single week, like they seem to be doing at Microsoft Japan now. Uh, Microsoft in Japan. Do you know what they've done? They've done the done the three-day weekend or the four-day week, whatever way you look at it. Came out of this country, invented in this country by um, Perpetual Guardian. And so Japan have done it. 2,300 employees gave them Friday off, basically. Um, big increase in productivity. Major increase in productivity. Working reform project is what they called it. So that idea that started here has pretty much gone all around the world. Not a bad This one, is actually mate. the last place I thought this would happen. Uh, I w- was under the impression Japanese people, uh, they don't like taking days off. They don't like extra t- free time. Uh, they like being at work. This isn't this what we're told? Or is that just a racist stereotype? I'm Glenn ZB. I'll be back here with more racial stereotypes tomorrow on the rewrap. See you then.